15 and verse number 17, at least to start us today. John 15 and 17. These things I suggest, you know, that's not what it says. That would be great though, wouldn't it? <laughs> Sometimes these things I command you that ye love one another. Amen. You can be seated. When we begin to talk about love in a biblical context, there's kind of three different directions in which it can flow. And uh, my favorite, of course, is the one that flows from above, right? That God robed Himself in flesh, dwelt among us, died on a Calvary for us, for our sins. That kind of love, I can get into that. I, I like me some of that. And uh, I've used more than my fair share, but God is so good. So that sort of love we understand. We understand that we are also then commanded to therefore love Him, right? So it's from this position upwards that we have love. But the one that gives me a lot of grief, and I, I'm, just, I'm just being really candid with you, is just that one to love one another. Uh, maybe it's just me. And so is it just me? Nobody raised their hand, so you all are feeling it too. All right, that's good. Uh, that's the one that pushes us a, a, a little more. Love one another. And, and really, when it comes right down to it, to care. To care about one another. You know, sometimes we just have to pray, Lord, help me to love one another. Help me, help me to love my neighbor. Help me to love uh, the one that I work with. Help me to care. I mean, really, fundamentally, uh, maybe it was different in a different time, but sometimes even getting our mindset around just caring about folks. I'm going to be honest, sometimes it's a struggle. Um, some of y'all don't make it easy. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm just kidding, of course, but, but, but there are those that don't make it easy, right? We, we can put names on that list. We, we, we could fill out that at one, two, three. We, we can put names with some of those that just don't make it easy. Now, I mean, when you talk about people like Sister McBride, how can you not love a Sister McBride? You know, that, that kind of genuineness love that just kind of flows. She's not in here, so I can talk about her. That just flows out of her. It's easy to love somebody like that, but there's some of us that, man, we make it a challenge for those that we, sometimes the ones we live with, you know, the ones that are close by, the ones we work with. Um, sometimes it's a challenge. Um, some people, it's, it's almost like they, they've issued a challenge to us when, when you come right down to it. And sometimes I just want to give them what they want. It's like, hey, bud, if you're, if you're looking for, for, for hell on earth, I'm, I'm happy to help you with that. Because that's the way you, our relationship, that's the way you want it to be. I, I'm fine with that. Uh, but that's not biblical. You treat people how you want to be treated or as God would treat them, as God would love them. Some people come with a lot of thorns. Some, <laughs> I heard an amen. I don't know if there was a name behind that amen, but some people come with a lot of thorns. Some people don't really seem like they even really want to be loved. I mean, really, that's, it, 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 and it doesn't mean that we have to put all of our effort there. I'm, I'm going to make it easy for some of you, all right? 
We, we don't go looking for the one that doesn't want to be loved, and we spend the rest of the next of our three lives there because we only get one life, right? We can't do that. It's, it's not that we try to find the most unlovable person, and that's the one we're going to pour out ourselves to. Uh, selves to. We look, and, and we're looking for that opportunity to love people. It doesn't mean that we don't love them, but we may not put all of our time there. You understand where, where I'm coming from. But, uh, but we are instructed to love one another. Jesus clarifies on how far this should go, and this is not unfamiliar territory, although it's sometimes hard for us to apply. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 44, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Now you say, why do you keep accenting all the use. You know, it's easy for us to get into a mindset of, of the ones that persecute the church. We've got to love them. The ones that do wrong to the church, we've got to love them. But that's actually not what the Scripture says. It's much, much more personal. When it's been done to you, someone has despitefully used you to get what they wanted at your expense. It's the one that has, has done every manner of evil thing against you and cursed you in, in public and uh, uh, demeaned you and, and, and ruined your reputation and now the way that people look at you. You, when it's that kind of personal that we are instructed to love those. And those are powerful words that really they cut to our hearts because they're difficult to live by. I'm not going to lie, it's difficult. We understand it's difficult sometimes to, to love those people because there are many that are even far from enemies. They're not the enemies of us, but they're somewhere between our closest friend and enemies. And somewhere, even those people in the middle, I have a hard time loving and caring about. But, but Jesus is saying, don't just even stop there. You've got to go all the way to the other end of the spectrum to the people that despitefully use you and mistreat you and wrong you and say all manner of evil thing against you. Those people I've got to love. It's not easy. And, you know, is there someone that you feel? This is a rhetorical question. No amens needed. No uplifted hands. But is there someone that you feel like you cannot love? It's a rhetorical question, but it's one that on occasion we have to ask ourselves as a maybe thermometer of what God is wanting to do inside of us. And maybe for some of us to fix that problem, maybe it starts with forgiveness. That's a whole other lesson. Maybe it starts with trying to understand their point of view. And, and, and it doesn't mean that Understanding their point of view means that you would do the exact same thing if you're in their shoes, right? It, it just means, where are they coming from? Why, why do we have this relationship? Why is it so bitter? Why is it so difficult? I, I remember growing up, and I, I, want, I had a number of animals. My mom wouldn't let me have them in the house too much, but uh, uh, any sort of animal, anything that I could get, rescue. I rescued bunnies from farmers that were going to kill them because they, you know, baby bunnies born in the garden. Like, I'm going to kill them. We're just going to get rid of them. And so here I am. I'm going to go rescue them. And I don't know if they survived after I turned them loose or not, but I, I did my best. And, and so we always had some dogs, some cats, some, some different animals. At Grandpa's house, there was always goats. There was always pigs. There was horses. There was all sorts of animals. And that's the environment that I grew up in. I wanted to be a veterinarian. 
Now, I wanted to be a veterinarian before I realized how long you've got to go to school to be a veterinarian, and then I changed my mind, but I still love animals. I remember coming home from school, and, uh, and I don't remember if I saw it first, but one of my dogs, she was chained up to uh, our playset. Now, we, we lived out in the country, but we had a fenced-in yard, a couple of acres, two, two, three, maybe three acres, and so our dog was used to, she was used to running around and, and enjoying the yard, but she was chained up, and she was barking, and she was growling, and she was chained up to the playset, and so I went inside and talked and, and found out. I, I can't remember the actual, I think what happened is she got out, and I have to understand there was other people with other animals around us. In fact, the neighbor's duck is going to die before much longer, but we're not going to talk about that today. But, but my dog was chained up, and, and I guess evidently she had gotten out, and the only thing they knew is just, well, we're going to chain her up until we find out how she got out, and then we'll fix that, and we'll let her go. Um, the problem is you couldn't even approach her. She is like something snapped inside of her. And, and, and she was, and she had on a, you know, a choke chain, and, and, and then she had this six-foot of chain attached to the playset, and she was just growling and barking, but she would pull so hard she couldn't even breathe. And I, and I got there to her, and I thought, I, I, I'm, I'm going to let her go. She, she loves me. And I reached, went, reached down to, to let her go, and she snapped at me. Never, never had that happen before. Well, I'm, I'm the soothsayer of animals. I'm going to what am I going to do? This, this dog is, uh, good thing I didn't think about old Yeller. I might have been terrified that my dog has suddenly snapped. And, and, uh, but anyway, I thought, you know what? She's, she's used to having all of this freedom, and suddenly she is confined to the six foot of chain. And now every time she tries to get free, she is being choked, and she's mad. She's upset. She's scared. And so I sat down in front of her, and I began to talk to her just out of her reach. And the more I talked to her, I could see her relax a little bit. I get a little bit closer, and I continued to talk to her. And I got a little bit closer, and I began to talk to her, and I could see her relax. And she was no longer uh, straining at the chain. And it was probably only a minute or two, but finally I was able to reach out, and I was able to, to touch her. And I was able to unclip her chain, and she was fine then. She was back to her normal self. And you say, well, that, that's, that's obvious. That's, that's just what you do when, when, someone is, when a dog, an animal is scared like that. You've got you've to put them at ease. You've got to show that affection to them. You've got to uh, let them know that you're going to help them, that you're going to take care of them. And, and that's just what you do with animals. And my question is, what's so different about people? That just because they have snapped at us, once or twice, just because they have growled at us, just because they've done some things maybe that are part of their nature or maybe opposed to their normal nature. And you say, well, if that's how it is, I'm not doing anything again. And, uh, but if we have such compassion for an animal, why can't we have such compassion for people? That we love one another. And, and just because they snapped at us, they growled at us, because uh, you know, love is what breaks down the walls. Love is what, uh, is what allows us to risk offense again, that allows us to open up ourselves. Love is what allows us to forgive and to continue to reach. We have to love one another. If we consider it, it's, it's somewhat obvious, isn't it, that this building block of love is the foundation in which we reach the world. This is the way that we care about souls in their eternity is to look at somebody and say, I know they're rough on the outside, but if God loves them, God, I want to love them too. 
God, if you cared about them the way you care about me, then God, I want to care about them the way you care about them. God, help me to love my brother, my sister, my neighbor, the ones that I come in contact with. Lord, help me to love them. If we cannot love them, we will never save them. We must love them. How important is love? It's, it's more important than spiritual gifts. How important is love? It's more important than miracles. It's more important than prophetic utterances. It's more important than great wisdom. It's more important than faith. It's like, really? More important than great preaching. More important than great music. More than sacrificial giving is love. 1 Corinthians 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, if you'll allow me, have not love, I am become as sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not love, it profiteth me nothing. Love suffereth long and is kind. Love envieth not. Love vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, does not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. It's a powerful thing we're talking about. Love never fails. Love never fails. Now you got to understand, when we look at Scripture, we got to understand the context of Scripture. So Paul is, is so we have the, the church that is born in Acts, and, and, and now we're actually having church buildings. People are meeting not just in houses, but in buildings. More and more people are wanting to have weddings inside of a church. And so Paul's like, what words can I write that are going to be powerful and that are going to have meaning? And some of you are smiling because, yes, I'm not. That's, that's all made up. It was more than just a message that we might. And it may make sense to read it at a wedding. I'm not saying that it doesn't. But that was not the context in the burden that Paul was feeling when he began to pin these words to the church. He, he began to tell them, hey, I don't care how much you seek and desire spiritual things. I don't care how many miracles are happening. I don't care what your attendance is. I don't care about how many prophetic words go forth. If fundamentally you do not love the people around you and love the people that you are reaching to, it's all for nothing. That was the whole context. They had suddenly got something out of order and they so desired spiritual things more than loving one another. Hey, that's a message for the modern church if I ever heard it. We can get so caught up in getting the next spiritual blessing and getting the next miracle and finding some new anointing and seeking spiritual gifts. And none of that is wrong. In fact, the very next chapter says that it's all right to seek after the gifts, those spiritual gifts, but let it all be founded on love. We have to love one another. We, it could be so easy to come into this place and all of us get so blessed in the spiritual things that are happening, but people come into this house and leave this house and we never touch them because we have not loved them. We have not cared. God, 
Help me to love people. Help me to care about people. Amen. The basis of love, the basis of caring, being touched by the feelings of others, being touched by those that are lost, is the foundation on which we build. We, we can get so caught up in the activities of church and even serving the needs of others that we lose connection with the principle of it all. I've got to love people. And Paul's saying, hey, no, don't let that happen. Church, hear me. Don't get so caught up in the activities of living. Don't get so caught up even in the activities of church and spiritual giftings and all of these things that we fundamentally miss out on everything. And so everything that we do inside of a church building profits nothing if we don't love one another. <clears throat> a lawyer asked Jesus in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36, he said, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus responded and said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Now, he didn't ask what's the first and second commandment, but it's like Jesus couldn't leave it undone. And so he went ahead and he says, And the second is likened to it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love is the building block of ministry. Love has to be the building block of the church. Caring for others has to be the building block in which we reach the world. And love is kind of a funny thing, isn't it? I mean, we, we can be, uh, maybe I shouldn't use husband and wife. We'll use children. We can love them, but they can make us so upset sometimes, Right? They can disappoint us. They can make us upset. They can make us mad. Uh, you know, just bring us to the breaking point uh, where our voice raises more than we really, really wanted it to. And, and, but you let somebody try to harm one of our children, and you better watch out, right? There's something that happens into us. And so love is not saying that we're never disappointed, that we're never upset, that we're never hurt. But it is that connection that says, you know what? Even in that, if I know my brother or sister is going through something, I'm going to be right by their side. I'm going to hold them up before God. I'm going to say, God, please reach down and touch this individual. God, you see what they're going through. God, I pray, Lord, you touch them. The enemy would say, well, they don't deserve it. They wouldn't have treated you like that. But love says, I don't care what is between us. There was something that is deeper than that that says, God, if you loved me and God, therefore I'm going to love them. God, I pray right now, touch them. That's what allows us to minister. Now, it's easy to say, I'll love those who love me. That's the easy one, right? But this is not what Jesus instructs. That is not the spirit that is reaching a lost and dying world. Those people often are making fun of us and our reliance and dependency on a fictitious imagination and spirit and hype and it's all built up emotion based on the rhythm of music and lyrics that somehow open us up to these things that really don't even exist. But these people also need Jesus. And so Jesus makes it clear when he goes on and he says, if you just love the people that love you, he said, what reward is it? He says, even the publicans do that. Now, we don't understand, like, he, he greatly insulted them when he said that. 
because it was a sign of the Roman occupation of that time. These are people that were either not Jews, but they were the tax collectors that were going into homes and, and taking money from them. And some were even Jews that had almost, it felt like, had turned their back on the Jewish uh, belief and faith, and they were now giving themselves over to operate in this occupation that went and harmed their fellow Jewish uh, brothers and sisters. And so it was to say a traitor. And so Jesus was saying, even the traitors love people who love them. He said, that doesn't do anything. He said, but there is something more that is expected of this godly love. There is something more that the Father, he says, is perfecting in us. And in other words, it's not perfect or suddenly becomes perfect, but it is something that we continually have to work on. We continually have to reach and to uh, uh, evaluate where we are in this relationship. Now, if you think, well, it's spiritual. Well, God missed me when he was handing out those spiritual gifts because, uh, you know, I've got some of them, right? I, I've, you know, all those lists of spiritual fruit, I've got some of those, so we're, we're good. I'm, I'm so thankful that Sister McBride has the spirit of love, but I've got, I don't know, let's put them up there, Galatians chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, uh, faith, verse 23, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Let's go ahead and put verse 22 back up there for just a moment. Say, well, you know, love is, is one of them, uh, and I, I don't necessarily have love, but I, I've got some of the others. I think you fail to realize what this actually says. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit, it is singular. It is a description of what is supposed to happen to a spirit-filled individual. Now, for some of you, when it's fall, and uh, when I walked out Saturday morning and that breeze was blowing, I, and it was chilly, I got excited. I had something about me. And the first thing I thought of was not pumpkins, but one of the things I was thinking about was apples. For me, you can have your pumpkin spice lattes. You can have your pumpkin pie. I don't even want to slice uh, you know, you can have that. But I, I do like my apples. And so Friday night, we, we made apple dumplings. And it's got all that syrupy goodness. And you put one of those in a bowl and it's hot out of the oven, Brother Lindsay. And then you take a scoop of homemade vanilla ice cream. Well, it said homemade on the package. We didn't make it, but it said homemade. And we put that scoop of homemade vanilla ice cream on there. And then you take an extra scoop of all that syrupy goodness that's in the bottom of the pan. And you drizzle it over top of that ice cream. Oh, that gets me excited. And then my mother-in-law, on, on Saturday in the afternoon, she says, hey, I'm coming by here in about 15 minutes, and if you want, I've got fresh, hot apple cake, if you want. Well, yeah, sign me up, right? But, but if you think about apples, there's different types, right? There's so many different varieties, and, and we can use these different descriptor, descriptors to, to classify each of these types of apples. We could talk about uh, the rating, its tartness, or its sweetness, or its size, or its crispness, or the structure of it. And all of these are just descriptors of a particular apple or type of apple. 
And so it is no different when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, that each of these are simply describing the outcome, the result of a Spirit-filled individual. So it is not that we can pick and choose which ones, but God is saying if you have fully mastered and brought forth the fruit, the singular fruit that I want you to bring forth, here is the description of what that fruit tastes like. Here's the fruit, the description of what it looks like to the rest of the world. It is it is love. It is joy, it is peace, it is long-suffering, it is gentleness, it is faith, meekness, and temperance. That's how he describes the spirit-filled fruit that comes forth in our lives. So it is not that we simply pick, and I'll pass love to somebody else who's more apt at it, but no, God says, when you bring forth the fruit that is a result of being filled with my spirit, here's what it's going to look like. Here's what it's going to taste like to the rest of the world when they bump into you. They're going to get a little joy on them. When they take a, 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 a big bite of, of your character, it's, it's just they're going to get some long-suffering. They're going to get some love. They're going to be able to taste those things, even though sometimes they may have meant to inflict pain, but when they come in contact, it's not what they expected on the other end of it because there is love that flows through that spirit. You know, I don't care how many miracles, I've already said it in a different words, but if we don't have love, it profits us nothing. And so we, as the church, we must condition ourselves to love everybody. We, we must condition ourselves to care about people who have fallen, messed up, people who have no observable, admirable qualities about them to care about people who are dirty, maybe spiritually, maybe physically, but to care about people who have messed up, to care about people who have turned on God and turned on the church, to care about people who just don't believe, care about people who are trapped in sin, and care about people who are of different political parties. Probably didn't have to put that ten years ago. But man, this world has become so divisive on some issues at the end of the day, we're, we're voting for some people that probably have no qualities or anything like Jesus, but we're like, this is the, the best of the, uh, 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 this is the least of the evils that I see to vote for, but yet somehow we want to divide ourselves. Hey, we've got to be very, very careful about these things. We, you know, social media, especially one of those places where it's so divisive, it's, it's people unfriending people and not following people simply because it's so, what has happened to our world? Hey, that should never be said of the church. It should be that the church, I, I don't care how you voted, I love you. I don't care what you think about the political parties uh, because that's not my hope and that's not where I put my faith and trust. My faith and trust is in the only one that can do anything for me and his name is Jesus. Uh, and so I don't care about the other thing. We, we have to love people that look different than us, that speak different than my southern native English. Jesus didn't speak it either, so I think we're all right there. Even every backslider that has let go of every standard of holiness and belief in hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. And now they say all manner of things. God, help me to love them. 
Help me, God, my heart to be stirred and say, let there be a revival of everyone that knows the truth deep inside. God, let me love them, God, even when they bristle up when I mention things about you. God, help me to love, help me to care about those people, every single individual. All of these, every one of these that I've outlined needs this body of Christ, needs the bride of Christ, you and me, the church, to love them. God, help me to love people. Help me to love as you have loved. God, help me to care as you have cared. We've all heard the story that has become popular. In fact, the anniversary of 9-11 not too long ago, and I heard mention of those even in our Purpose Institute, what reference was made to the man with the red bandana. We've all heard the story. I'm not going to tell it in its detail, but an individual who was above where the planes impacted in the tower and all the confusion made his way, finally found his way to the stairwell and was headed out and then he got to one of the floors where it was burning and chaos and, and smoke, and he stepped into that. He didn't have to. He was not in law enforcement. He was not in the fire department. He was just a businessman. And stepped into that chaos, helped get people and helped them navigate back to the stairwell and get them down. And then as he got them down, he was met by first responders that went ahead and took over for him, and they started treating people and helped get those people out of the building. And it was not his job. He didn't have to. But something inside of him couldn't let go that he knew the way out of the building. And there were people that were trapped and could not get out. And so he did the unthinkable. He got back in the stairwell and went back up. And people after people that he helped navigate to that rescue point and got them to stairwells and to get them out and people didn't even know his name he didn't even he didn't hey my name is pastor jason campbell and in case anybody references i want you to know who has saved you today that's not how i operate and that's not how all the people knew that had been saved by this and all they knew is he just had a red bandana over his mouth that's that's all they knew about him and so the, the, the dozens of people that he individually helped navigate and they escaped. But when the tower came down, he was still inside because something wouldn't let him go. I just, I've got to reach somebody else. I know the way out of here. And I know there's people that are in a bad situation and I don't know even for sure if I can get them out. But on the off chance that I can, I've got to get back in the building and I've got to help them get out. How great of a testament is that, that someone so loved people that he would give his life for them. We've all heard the story of the young girl tossing the sea creatures, the starfish, and those back into the receding tide that were stranded on the shoreline. And father asked, you, you, you can't make an impact. You, you can't. There's hundreds of thousands. It doesn't make a difference that you throw one back into the ocean. And her response simply was, it makes a difference to the ones that I throw back. That, in a very simple, childish way, is what God wants us inside of us. That says, you know what? I know the way out. 
I've already got out more than anyone else. No one could blame me. I've already done beyond what is expected of me. But because I love people so much, because God placed something inside of me that just can't let it go, and I care about people, I'm going back into a place that I know might be my demise. I know that in the scope of things, it doesn't matter that I find just one, and that is the only one that I am able to say. But for that one, it makes a lot of difference. God. Help me to love as that man did in a physical sense. Help me to do in a spiritual sense that it changes me. God, help me to love. God, help me to care. Just for a moment, can we just close our eyes and just say that right now? Lord Jesus, I pray in this place, God, let something be stirred inside of me, God. Let me be changed by your presence, God. You said that that spiritual gifting would bring a result that I would love one another, that I would love individuals, that I would care. God, help me, God, to mature that fruit inside of me, God. Let me care. Let me love as you love Jesus. John 13, 34 a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you. That is a high standard. In fact, I will tell you, and you can't make that up. You can't do that. You can't manufacture that simply of your own will. It's a spiritual thing. As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye love one, if ye have loved one to another. This is the test. There are a multitude of subtle and, and obvious observations that can be made there, but only two that I will look at. A key characteristic of every disciple, of every follower, Jesus himself says, everyone in this world is going to know that you are mine and that you follow me. How are they going to know that I lay hands on them suddenly and they are healed? That I have great understanding of the word of God? All those are important, but most important fundamentally God's Jesus, God robed in flesh says, people will know you by how you love one another. All those other things will follow if you love people like that, but fundamentally, we must love. Maybe the more inferred or subtle observation is that where does this love come from? And it is not in our ability to solely to generate this, but it is a spiritual thing that is given. It's our responsibility, though, to monitor. What is it like? God, God, is it, 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 do I care for people? Do I love people? I say, well, I don't necessarily see that, those words there, that God gives us love. Well, it's a result of the fruits of the Spirit we saw in, in, in Galatians. But Timothy also says, or in Timothy, 2 Timothy, Paul writes, and he says, God has given us the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind, but love. It's our responsibility to monitor it, but God is our refilling station. It is His Spirit that produces that. 
So if we look around and we say, God, I just don't care the way I used to. God, I just don't love the way I used to. Hey, it is a call of the Spirit to, to get back into His presence and say, God, rebaptize me with Your Spirit, Lord, so that I love everyone. God, so that I can care for those around about me. God, help me to love one another. Help me to care that there was a lost and dying world. Help me to care about my neighbor that is lost. Help me to care about my nemesis at work that seems to always be plotting against me. But God, help me to love. Help me to care. Help me to love. John reiterates this test of discipleship that was given by Jesus in 1 John chapter 4, verse number 11. It says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Very similar here. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. Hereby know ye that we dwell in Him and He in us, because He hath given us His Spirit. He's saying that no man that walks in this life has ever seen God at any time. But if His Spirit is in us, and we have that love that is only a godly love that the world through us will see Him. Is that simply by the way that we love so genuinely, so unlike the world, that people will say, if there's anything that resembles God, that's it. I want what He's got. I, I, I can't describe it. I see joy. I see love. I see peace. I see long-suffering. I see gentleness. I want that fruit. But the world will see love. The routine and busyness of life, I'm going to be completely honest, it can callous our hearts. And that it gets to a point that we are not touched with compassion. We're not touched with the spiritual or even physical needs. And in this selfish world that we live, these same spirits can attach themselves to us and suddenly we just don't care. And the world is complicated enough and we become conditioned to only love those that are willing to love us. As long as our needs are being met, we are comfortable and revival in our altars is not urgent if it is none of mine that are there. We cannot reach them at all so Maybe why even try? I can't get them all. Why try? They, they don't want to be loved, so why waste my time? I don't have time enough as it is. How can I get or give more of myself? Those are all fair statements. I can't argue with the one of them. But all I know is that God said He would give us something else besides what the world gives. And that everyone that's in the world would see Him through it and they would desire what you have. And that is a godly love. Amen. As we all stand this morning, God, help me to love. Help me to love. God, rebaptize me with Your Spirit. If James could record that God cares enough about wisdom that if any man lacks wisdom, simply to let him ask and he will give to him wisdom, how much more the spirit of love 
that Jesus himself over and over and over again says, you've got to love people. Hey, don't forget, you've got to love people. And Paul would write, hey, I don't care what other spiritual conquest you do. If you don't love people, it profits you nothing. If, if, he cares, if he cares that much about those things, how much more about love that we could simply ask, God, I don't feel it like I used to. God, rebaptize me with that spirit that produces love for one another. And I believe, I honestly believe, He will give it to you, and we will be able to touch our world. Can we pray that God would do that in us right now? Lord Jesus, I pray, God, let me be changed. God, I know that I can be so conditioned by the world, God, and my expectations somehow lowered from what that of what you desire to give. And Lord God, somehow conditioned to almost be heartless or somehow be calloused at least that I'm not touched by the needs of those around about me, not touched by a lost and dying world and somehow not touched, Lord, by the things that touch you. But I pray, God, rebaptize re me with your spirit, God. Let that fruit grow inside of me that produces love, God, that helps me to love like you love, God, so that the world could somehow see you through me, God. Let me be that example of your love, God. Lord, I know that I can't do it by myself and of myself. God, it's got to be you. So God, touch my mind. Touch the way that I think. Touch my heart. The things that I desire. Let me be changed by your presence and by your spirit. Lord, let me be so moved, I pray. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah. Why don't we take some